Toronto today. Welcome aboard for Monday, September 13th. Jim Taddy with you for an hour, and then gameplay with Mad Cause takes over the rest of the afternoon, leading to overdrive, leading to Monday Night Football, all live here on TSN 1050. Uh, we have plenty of ground to cover. I'm going to start with a tennis story just because I was 0 for 2 in my finals winners on the weekend. Leila Annie Fernandez uh, certainly, uh, you know, had a, a tough afternoon but was classy right to the end. And, and I don't know about you, but uh, just a couple of things happened in the last week regarding her performance that you'd watch and, uh, the, the spirit in this kid would just bring a, a tear to your eye of joy just to see this story sort of develop in, in front of us. And this clip, uh, I'm going to ask Chris to play this clip where, where she came back after she finished her speaking after the loss to Radicanu and, and asked to say something more. And she said this and it was like, it was a wow moment. Let's listen to it. I know this, on this day, it was especially hard for New York and everyone around the, the United States. I just want to say that I hope I can be as strong and as resilient as New York has been the past 20 years. Hope to see you next year. Yeah, that that's a wow, that's for sure. When she did that, I mean it just made you understand what makes this this person so special and how proud we are uh, that she represents us uh, at the U.S. Open. Uh, you know, that's the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Uh, and as I watched it, I thought, okay, so so really I'm understanding how special you are as a person, but I'm also understanding how you were raised. Uh, great family background and, and parents and siblings and, and because it's the environment that creates who we are and, and you know it adds to or subtracts to uh, the base of who we are and, and clearly that was you know excellent uh, parenting and, and a family background and of course I don't want to take anything away from her she knew what to do and when to do it and, and that was just really a, a, an interesting moment to understand who this person is and and you know you could get into the tennis side and where it goes but we'll do that later on Ken Christina will be by my co-host on Tennis Talk Canada as we close out the hour so I just wanted to to get that tennis stuff out there because it's still fresh in mind and uh, sometimes after an event is over you, you tend to delete it and, and move on and there's plenty of ground to cover of course we got the baseball story coming up very shortly Gregor Chisholm from the Toronto Star will stop by of the Jays lights out so a couple of numbers here 22 runs yesterday outscored 14 NFL teams in a uh, span of 24 hours they scored 44 runs and they outscored every NFL team, and only one CFL team came up with more. The BC Lions at 45 points against Ottawa. So that's the kind of offensive explosion. They had 27 runs in a four-inning span. That is a major league record. And they have the first seed. They're tied with Boston in the wild card situation, the wild card race. And, boy, how things have changed quickly for the Jays who are 9-1 and in their last 10. They've won three in a row. Uh, Boston, 5-5 five and five in their last 10. Uh, and so they have the same winning percentage, so they're tied. They're dead-heated. Boston has a COVID outbreak, so I don't know where that goes. Uh, and the Yankees have stumbled, 2-8 uh, and eight their last 10, and sit a game out. Oakland has stumbled, 4-6 and six their last 10. They sit three games out. And then Seattle, uh, pesky Seattle, is three games out as well, 6-4 and four their last 10. So uh, that's the the baseball story in a nutshell. But Gregor has a, an interesting take on, on Vladdy that will we'll develop 
develop as we move along. And Jared Dubin will be by at the bottom of the hour talking about the NFL opening day yesterday. Of course, it started on Thursday, and it concludes tonight, Monday Night Football. It'll be Baltimore and Vegas against the Raiders. You can listen to it here on TSN 1050, and you can't miss it. I mean, if you're going to watch it, you can't miss it. It's on TSN 1, 3, 4, and 5. So it's going to follow you. I mean, you could be in the car listening to us. You get home, you turn on any one of the TSN, except for TSN 2. If you're a TSN 2 supporter, you're going to miss the game. Crazy stuff. Uh, so the Bills gave the game away. I don't know what happened there, but we'll, we'll deal with that later. Let's let's deal with the Blue Jays now. Uh, and we have with us uh, Gregor Chisholm, Blue Jays columnist for the Toronto Star. Gregor, Gregor, welcome. How are you today, sir? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Our, our pleasure. So, I mean, first let's deal with the onslaught. I mean, that, that run production is, is unprecedented. Um, it, it's sort of like watching, uh, it, I mean, it's, it's a massive build because they all, and many people have detailed this, they, they play off each other. The chemistry, the offensive chemistry is startling, isn't it? No, it really is. And, I mean, this past weekend certainly looked like someone was playing a video game on rookie mode. I mean, it really looked that easy for, for certain stretches. And, I mean, this, this series didn't start out that way, obviously. Uh, but the way they're finishing and the note that they're finishing, uh, I mean, it's impressive. I mean, that, that is obviously the benefit of this lineup. Uh, when these guys get hot, a lot of them tend to get hot at the same time, and there's a bit of a snowball effect. Uh, the downside is that, you know, it does work the other way at times. I mean, we've seen this, this club go through some offensive droughts too. And so, uh, that certainly could happen again before the end of the year. But I mean, the Jays are obviously going to ride this wave for, for as long as they possibly can. And it'll be interesting in, in this upcoming series against Tampa Bay because that pitching staff will obviously be a, a much bigger test than an Orioles team that really is like the, equi- the equivalent at this point of a minor league baseball team. Uh, so here we sit in mid-September, Tampa at home for three, Minnesota at home for three, then on the road to Tampa, Minnesota again, and then at home to New York, and then they close off at home to Baltimore. Nice homestand to close it out. Uh, and, and I agree with you, there's going to be, it's going to, it's, the market's going to correct itself. They're going to have uh, some time where they're not going to produce the runs. Uh, but, but I think, uh, you know, the sample size is there. I, I'm not going to say their, their job is done by any stretch, but, but they've certainly taken control of their situation, haven't they? No, they certainly have. And I mean, What's remarkable is, is how quickly they've, they've started to kind of control their own fate. I mean, I, I think when you looked at the standings a, a week or two ago, uh, I mean, it was an uphill battle, obviously, and, and the Jays were going to need to get an awful lot of help along the way in order to climb the standings. Well, I mean, one way to kind of make the help on yourself is, is to go on such a such a long winning streak like they have. So they've really gained ground a lot faster than, than I or pretty much anyone else would have thought. And so, uh, I mean, now you're, you're in a position where you can control your own fate a little bit, especially the fact that you do have uh, one more series against the Yankees remaining. Uh, and, and kind of puts you in position to, to, to see something down the stretch. And ultimately, that, that's what you're looking for. But, I mean, the schedule does kind of play in the Jays' favor now. I mean, it, if, if they were trying to play catch-up and, uh, you know, they were, they were trailing, uh, you know, both the Red Sox and the Yankees by a lot of games and didn't have much games remaining against them, maybe playing teams like Minnesota would, would kind of hamper their ability to make up ground. Uh, but if you're in the driver's seat, which the Jays are right now, I mean, those are the teams you want to be playing. Even though the pressure's off a team like Minnesota, I mean, you'd rather have those matchups, obviously, than uh, uh, the ones. you got a couple tough ones against the Rays coming up. But besides that, I mean, I mean it really could work in their favor. 
Uh, interesting piece by you in the Star, and, and it deals with with Vladdy. Uh, you know, it, it's funny almost. Uh, you know, maybe a month ago, maybe less than a month ago, everybody was worried about about fatigue uh, sort of uh, slowing down his progress, but he's back with a vengeance, and, and you know now in in triple crown territory. Do you think he can do that? I think he's going to come up a little bit short, but he has he has a chance. And I mean, at this point in time of the season, that's all you can really ask for. I mean, it's pretty amazing that we're even you know talking about this and what really is his first full season in the major leagues. I mean, he had last year's abbreviated schedule. The year before that, it was was a fresh rookie, uh, and so I mean, it, it wasn't that long ago around these parts that that we were talking about how he wasn't living up to expectations. And now, I mean, you're talking about a guy who had been hyped for about five or six years before his arrival i mean somehow he's actually exceeding those expectations right now and we're really watching one of the the greatest offensive seasons uh in blue jays history and the fact that he's doing it at this age is is stunning and so you know can he do it he absolutely can because all he needs to do is is get hot uh stay hot over these final two weeks and he can make the push i mean uh, even with the home runs of Shohei Otani, uh, the average he's he's been the leader there for for a good chunk of the year, and uh, you know he's he's only a handful of RBIs behind Jose Abreu. So uh, I mean, if he goes on, continues to go on one of his kind of classic tears, he can absolutely get there. We have seen some guys come close before, like Christian Yelich and JD Martinez, very recently in 2018. They they came very very close and just came up short. So if I were predicting something, I'd probably say just because it's so hard to do that he will come up just short but i mean really all it does is going to take a, a two strong weeks from him and it'll be right there for the taking and, and oddly enough and this sort of typifies the world that we are in now the altered state is that we could have such a fantastic story like that uh he could win the triple crown and yet because of a, a baseball outlier the otani story a, a complete one-off he he probably wouldn't win the mvp bizarre isn't it it really is. It, it, to a certain extent, it reminds me a little bit of the debate. It's very different, but a little similar to 2012 when Miguel Cabrera, I, I mean, until the last couple of weeks, he wasn't really the front runner despite uh, having a triple crown season. It was a lot of people were thinking that that was going to be Mike Trout's year. And so the dialogue this one, this time around is a little bit dif- different. It's a little bit simpler this time. Uh, because Otani is just such a special case. I mean, uh, it, it would be one thing if he was just a league average pitcher or a below average pitcher, just someone who kind of used as like a fourth, fifth starter and was putting up the offensive numbers he's putting up. But I mean, he was, he was a legitimate all-star pitcher this year. Uh, you know, he's coming off a rough start recently. Uh, but for the most part, most of the year, he's had an ERA under three. And then you're talking about a guy who's also in the major league home run leader. So I just don't really know how you compete with that, but, Certainly, if, if you kind of narrow it down just a little bit in terms of position players, uh, I mean, there's no doubt that, that Vladdy's not only just the American League MVP in that scenario. I mean, he's the most valuable position player in all of Major League Baseball this year. Uh, and it, it's just the fact that Otani, I mean, you, you just can't really compare to when you add in the value on the mound and also, uh, you know, in the batter's box, it's hard to compete against that. It's almost a freakish story. I mean, you've got a guy here who could win a triple crown and, and, and will likely lead his team into the playoffs and, and maybe deep. We don't know that, right? Uh, that, that could, and of course the MVP is based on the regular season, but he could be a catalyst for Jay's success in the postseason and still be edged out by that. I mean, it's, I call it a freaky story because you'll probably never see it again. 
Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, especially because, I mean, Otani, in theory, could do this multiple years, obviously. But at the same time, I mean, so much has to go right yeah. for him. I mean, he's been around for a few years now and just wasn't able to, to stay healthy in terms of being that regular contributor, especially on the mound. So whether or not he's going to be able to do it again kind of remains to be seen. But, I mean, this certainly was the year he put it all together. Uh, you know, the other sort of odd thing about the, the Vladdy story is, it, you're right, uh, totally heralded from from the moment the Jays uh, ha- had him in, in their development system and, and highly regarded. But actually, what we're seeing now is, is even better than we would have expected. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. And that's I was trying to get into that in my piece in the Star the other day as well, because that, that to me is the most impressive thing. I mean, Talk about pressure on that guy coming up. Uh, it's not very often you become a household name, basically, by the time you're 16. And, and pretty much from the day he signed with the Jays, um, that's kind of what he was. I mean, that's uh, part of that was because of the hoopla that kind of came around the signing. Obviously, a huge part of that is because of who his father was. Uh, and then the numbers he put up along the way only added to that pressure. And so, I mean, we saw a little bit of that over the last couple of years take, take a bit of a toll. But... You know, it was it was sometimes easy to forget during that stretch because we had been paying attention to him for a few years before he arrived. That I mean, this was, this was a guy who was who was so young, still is so young right now. Uh, and if it was anybody else, I mean, the numbers he was putting up, you know, last year even in his rookie season, they were they were still solid numbers. I mean, something that if, was, if he was any other prospect in baseball, numbers that you're probably pretty happy with. But because people came. You know, expecting him to be almost an all-star right away, uh, you, I think there was, you know, some part of the fan base that was a little bit disappointed, kind of waiting for those big numbers to arrive. But now, I mean, it's almost the opposite. I mean, even if you expected him to be an all-star at this point in time, I don't think there were too many people who thought, you know, basically at age 22 uh, that he would be, you know, an MVP candidate, would be in the running for uh, the triple crown and, and would be the clear front runner as the most valuable position player in all of baseball this year. I mean, that, that's, that's another level of stardom that I don't think people really would have expected to see for at least another couple of years. And the fact that he's doing it right now is, is pretty scary. Cause I mean, he's got a long runway ahead of him in terms of uh, opportunities to make his mark in future seasons. And, and the fact he's doing it, you know, in his first full year, uh, you know, I, I, that's, that's stunning. That's even better than we would have thought. Well, and he sort of typifies, I think, the Blue Jay forecast, and I think a lot of people sort of started the year thinking, okay, well, we'll see some development this year and, and see where it goes in the future. But uh, certainly over the last month, uh, it, it's it's caught fire, and, and he leads the way. I mean, this this is exceeding expectations, isn't it? I would think so. Like, there's... I had them pegged kind of going into the year is is kind of being in the mix for the wild card spot, being kind of a fringe playoff team. And so in, in some regards, it is going kind of the way I thought it was. Uh, but then on the flip side, the, the narrative for the season has changed. And I, I think it's changed in part because of you've had guys like Robbie Ray and Marcus Simeon as well, who, I mean, they are basically the, the top free agent signings last year. I mean, he had been, you know, made even bigger impacts than, than a guy like George Springer, who, who got most of the headlines. But uh, the fact that you got those guys both on, on one-year deals, veteran-type pieces, 
I mean, we've been looking at this Jays season as kind of a building block for the future years. You thought, okay, if they get a little bit closer to the postseason, if they at least get in and play one wild card game, it's mission accomplished because the best years are still to come. I mean, that that still is true, but at the same time, uh, because of the contributions you're getting elsewhere from some of the veteran-type pieces they added, I mean, this is really an opportunity now that, that they really want to take advantage of. And you add in a guy like Jose Barrios, the fact that they, you know, they added stuff at the deadline. To me, the goal needs to be a little bit higher now. This, is, this isn't just a building block type year. This is a year where you can legitimately do some damage. Uh, and you need to take advantage of that because you, you really don't know. I mean, even though the expectation would be that this is going to be a four or five year type situation where the Jays every single year are contending. I mean, we've seen so many baseball seasons go sideways because of injuries, because of guys who underperform. Uh, the fact that you're in a position right now where you can strike uh, and the fact that you do have a couple of big name potential free agents this off season. I mean, this is really kind of a perfect time to strike, uh, and so it's going to be interesting to see how they how they finish up. And so, if they if they get into the playoffs and lose the wild card game, I don't think it's the end of the world. Like I said, because of the, the future that they still have, but it would be it would be a missed opportunity for this group. This team, uh, you know, really connects with the marketplace, with the Toronto fan base. Um, it's, you know, it's got some some great names on it, people you can identify with, people you want to go to the ballpark to see play. Uh, it kind of throws me back into the mid-'80s uh, with the Dominican players and, and certainly the success in the early 90s. Then again, uh, six, five or six years ago, same type of feel. You know that something good is going to happen. I, I think maybe what's what's unique about this team more so than the others, and the others had it, mind you, but, but this team really has... I don't think you use this term much in baseball. Great chemistry amongst the players. Would you agree? They do. No, they do. Absolutely, for sure. And I, I think part of that is, is, you know, the fact that a lot of these guys came up at the same time, kind of as you touched on. I mean, this is a group that has been around for a while. But then they've they've done some nice they've done a nice job. The front office has done a nice job of adding the right complementary pieces. Uh, I mean, George Springer, even though he's missed a, obviously a huge chunk of this year, seems to really uh, fit in well with that core. Uh, Simeon is a, is a guy who is really perfect for, for this type of team. I mean, he's, he's that solidifying kind of veteran influence that, that you would love to have, and you can see it based on the interactions on the field. In the dugout, reporters, we don't get to see as much of the interactions behind the scenes this year because of COVID, but uh, I'm sure the clubhouse is the exact same thing. And you really, you really need to have a bit of a mix of that because if, if that was the, if it was just the young core and nothing else, then, then I do think inexperience at some point would take a toll. But I mean, just, just think back to this last month and how many, uh, you know, big moments that Simeon's had, how many big starts that a guy like Ray has had. Uh, I, mean, I mean, the entire package there is pretty good, and, and the chemistry certainly backs that up. Uh, these guys certainly enjoy each other. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think it's as important in baseball as in other sports. Um, you know, the Jays in 2015 and 16 had very, very good teams. I don't think they had much in the way of chemistry. Uh, but, I mean, if you had a choice between having it or not, obviously you'd like to have it, and, and this group certainly does. Gregor, thanks very much. Really appreciate it. No problem. Anytime. 
That is Gregor Chisholm from the Toronto Star. Blue Jay columnist for the Toronto Star. I was just looking at the standings, and, and so, uh, you know, the Jays are at a high water mark. There's no question about that at 9 and 1. They're just ripping the cover off the baseball. Boston stumbling, and the Yankees stumbling. Now, a couple of weeks ago, that was reversed, and the Jays were on the outside looking in. What I like about it is the timing. So, uh, you know, a couple of weeks left, two and a half weeks left, and uh, this could leave a mark in terms of the way they're playing now, though they go into the series against Tampa tonight. Manoa goes for the Jays, and they've just expired 44 runs in the last three ball games so you know you hope that there's something left that they haven't uh, evaporated the run production but we'll see and they get tampa again next week in tampa so it's it, crucial point no question about that steve phillips was on first up this morning and he's talking about how fun the jays are to watch The number of people who text me, because they know I do a lot of work with TSN, uh, who say, man, your team, and my team, they call it my team, <laughs> your team is so much fun to watch. The Blue Jays are really a fun team to watch, and they are. They're yeah. really fun. You, can, you get to feel the personalities of the guys as they come up to the plate. There's something about this team that you really do feel who they are when they play. And, uh, and you can also, and I talked about this on Saturday night, the camaraderie of this team, they really like each other. The stars like each other. I mean, the reality is back in the day, Alex Rodriguez and Derek Jeter did not like each other. Uh, well, I was supposed to say, Jeter didn't really like A-Rod. A-Rod wanted to be liked. Uh, but but these guys really do, like Bichette and Guerrero really like each other. And it comes shows through loud and clear. You know, very engaging to watch. You don't know where the runs are going to come from or who's going to be the star of the game, but you know it's going to be somebody. And any time that you know that's going to happen on a regular basis, you are absolutely connected to the team. You are watching. You are entertained is the best way to describe that. Here's Mr. Phillips and the Jays' upcoming series with the Rays that starts tonight. The Rays have outscored the Jays this year. And, and you know, it's just so different. Now, I, now listen, you know, the, the Blue Jays have improved. They're, they've gotten locked in. The Blue Jays hit some of the best fastballs. What the Rays do is they mix and match their players to, to go against the other team in a way that's, that fits them better. So they'll left lefty-righty platoons, high ball, low ball platoons, uh, guys who hit change-ups better will play a day. And so they can do that, but they don't have the firepower and the horses, the thumpers that the Blue Jays have. Uh, I mentioned on SportsCenter, the big hairy back guys, they can bang it to the wall, through the wall, and over the wall. Uh, that's what Toronto has, is legitimate you know, everyday players where Tampa Bay mixes and matches. It works for them. Uh, but I even like the starting pitching better for the Blue Jays than I do Tampa. Tampa's bullpen's got a lot of power arms and a lot of options there, but uh, there's no reason why the Blue Jays can't take two out of three from Tampa Bay. There's just no reason why. Tampa Bay, too, uh, coming off a series that they lost, and so you know a chance maybe now for, for Toronto to keep on rolling. And uh, if you're going to play them, this is the time to play them when you're playing some of your best baseball. Fascinating times, and, and everybody's upbeat about this, this situation with the Jays, no question about that. So Tampa and Minnesota at home this week, next week in Tampa, in Minnesota, and uh, then I believe it's uh, Yankees and, and Baltimore, and that wraps it up. So that, that's how fast that goes, and Jays are really, they really they can control their own plight, which is all you really want when you're driving for a playoff position 
Can you control it? Absolutely. So they've, they've made major strides, as we're all aware, certainly over the last couple of weeks. Coming up next, we're going to talk about the NFL. Jared Dubin, NFL writer for CBS Sports, will join us. This is Toronto Today, TSN 1050, tsn1050.ca, also available on the TSN and iHeartRadio apps. This is a good uh, good kick in the you-know-where. Hopefully uh, get us going in the right direction, going back home and playing division opponent next week. Yeah, that's Aaron Rodgers, and he got kicked. So did the rest of the Packers as the Saints destroyed them yesterday on opening day, 38-3. to Yikes. NFL Monday Night Football tonight. It'll be Baltimore in Vegas against the Raiders. You can listen to it right here on TSN 1050 or watch it on TSN as well. Let's bring in Jared Dubin now, NFL writer for CBS Sports. Jared, welcome. How are you today? I'm doing fine. How are you? Uh, very good, thanks. Uh, let, let's start with the uh, the, the uh, Packers getting wiped by the Saints. I mean, that was uh, that was a, a, a destroy. Uh, the, the Saints absolutely destroyed the Packers in a way that you couldn't imagine it could be done. What was your take on that? I think that's one of those games for the Packers where you just gotta, you know, as they say, burn the game tape. Um, you know, I, I don't think that's representative of the way they're going to play throughout the rest of this season. That's a, a really good team and a really good roster. They just came out and they got they got beat. You know, it, it, it happens every once in a while. It happened, I believe, last year to the team that went on to win the Super Bowl. You know, the the Bucks lost to the Saints, I think, thirty eight to three, also at one point last year. So, you know, it it, it doesn't mean that Green Bay is going to be really bad. Um, it just means that they you know they came out and got beat. And, of course, the Saints were absolutely thrilled with the quarterback, Winston, who had the best debut of anybody, five touchdown passes and, and no interceptions. And it looks like the Saints are going to be something to deal with with the new quarterback, right? Yeah, I mean, look, uh, at one point I think he had 96 passing yards and four touchdowns. You know, that's something that's probably not particularly sustainable. They did hit more downfield throws than, obviously, they had in previous years with Drew Brees, which is something that Jameis is going to bring, but... Now, the, the thing with Jameis, the question has never been about the ceiling that he can bring to a team because of the way he throws the ball downfield and the aggressiveness that he has. It's about the floor and whether he can avoid those negative plays. Yesterday, he did a really good job of that. We're going to have to see what it looks like when he's not, you know, in an ideal situation where the, you know, the team takes a, a huge lead early on and he doesn't really have to force anything the rest of the way. Uh, the Bills-Steelers game, stunning. Uh, the Bills had this, looked really good the first half, and, and gave it away. What was your take on, on what you were watching? I, I, I was fairly stunned with that. Yeah, I mean, Pittsburgh didn't really do anything on offense. You know, I'm looking at the box score now. Ben averaged 5.9 yards per attempt. Najee Harris, 2.8 yards per carry. You know, they, they got a blocked punt for a touchdown, and they I think their their other touchdown drive was a short field, if I'm remembering correctly um i think the bills left some points on the field in this game i was watching josh allen throws earlier and he missed two deep balls one to emmanuel sanders and one to stefan diggs that both should have been touchdowns that last year i think would have been touchdowns you know almost every time he threw them and obviously if he hits those two the game goes a lot differently one thing that was interesting was the steelers didn't really send pressure after him at all they, they blitzed only twice on 51 dropbacks. And uh, Josh Allen was one of the most blitzed quarterbacks in the league last year, and he tore up blitzes. It'll be interesting to see, you know, if teams keep playing soft coverage against them, how the Bills counteract that. 
Yeah, I mean, you don't want to overreact to an opening loss, albeit at home and albeit a giveaway. But what's your what, what are your expectations for the Bills this year? I mean, I still think they're going to be really good. You know, they played one of the best defenses in the league, and they, they didn't have their best offensive performance. You know, I would imagine that we'll see them do much better as they come out uh, in the next few weeks. Uh, the Rams and Stafford, that's a nice marriage. He looked really good, didn't he? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think we're going to see a lot of people find out how good Cooper Cup and Robert Woods really are now that Sean McVay has a quarterback that he trusts to get them the ball. These guys aren't just going to be getting six, seven, eight-yard targets anymore. They're going to make some plays down the field, too. And, you know, we saw that last night, and they added a bunch of speed. They brought in Deshaun Jackson, Tutu Atwell, even Van Jefferson had a much bigger role than in previous years last night. You know, they're going to move the ball. Their defense is really good. That's a really good team. What's your take on the Bears? I mean, is it, how do you see them playing this year? I don't understand what they're doing. Like, I don't get the Andy Dalton thing. They keep trying to tell us that it's just like yeah. Alex Smith and Patrick Mahomes a few years ago in Kansas City. You know, Alex Smith was a pro bowler that, that year. Like, this is nothing like that. Andy Dalton didn't look good in, you know, his last few years in Cincinnati. He didn't look good last year in Dallas. He did not look good last night. They should get to the Justin Fields era sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an odd look, that's for sure. I agree with you. Um, Patriots losing out on Miami, there was a time where that wouldn't happen, and I guess that's where we are, right? Yeah, I mean, look, I think the New England played well. You know, they just came out and fumbled four times and lost two of them. That's not something you typically see from a Belichick coach team. And, you know, maybe Ramondre Stevenson and Damian Harris just get benched for the rest of the year now because they both put the ball on the ground. But, you know, I thought Mac Jones looked fine after that weird first play where he, like, got sacked and threw the ball backwards at the same time. The defense looked good. It's not like Tua carved up their defense. You know, it was it was a, a good game between two pretty good teams, and they just happened to lose because they turned it over a couple times. Uh, as you look through the scoreboard, certainly the Eagles uh, win over Atlanta 32-6 is, is more than noteworthy. What jumps off the page for you? Yeah, the Eagles for sure. The, the Texans kind of beating up on the Jaguars. You know, Texans obviously pretty widely – expected to be the worst team in the league this year. And they came out and, I mean, the Jaguars didn't look like they belonged on the field. Then there was, you know, Arizona and Tennessee. They, they, all the NFC West games, the NFC West teams came out and, you know, they, they really put put in work. You know, that's the best division in the NFL, and they showed it yesterday. There's so many uh, new quarterbacks on different teams and, and rookie quarterbacks. How do you think that storyline is going to develop throughout the course of the year? Yeah, I mean, I thought the rookie quarterbacks, for the most part, looked fine. You know, Mac Jones looked pretty good. Trevor Lawrence made some mistakes. He got put in bad positions by uh, by that Jaguars offense and especially by the offensive line. Zach Wilson got off to a really slow start. Some of that was drops. Some of it was his offensive line just getting destroyed. Uh, but I thought he finished really strong against the Panthers. And then, you know, both Trey Lance and Justin Fields and the sort of packages that they had – they both wound up with touchdowns. So, you know, I, I think that those guys showed what you want them to show, and eventually they'll get into the lineup and show more. And we've got the Monday Nighter, Baltimore in Vegas against the Raiders. How do you see that playing out? Uh, I like the I like the Ravens. I'm, I'm not big on the, the Raiders' defense, which, you know, was not very good last year, and I don't think 
added enough in the way of talent to, to really do all that much against this Baltimore offense this year. And then, I mean, the Raiders' offensive line, it's like, you know, they traded probably three of their four best offensive linemen from last season. And then another one, Richie Incognito, is out tonight. I mean, they're, they're going up against this Baltimore front with, like, Calais Campbell, Brandon Williams, Justin Matabike. Like, I, I think Derek Carr is going to have a long night. And we know from experience, like, he's one of the quarterbacks that's been most affected by pressure throughout his career. And a lot of the reason that he was able to be successful these last few years is because he was one of the least pressured quarterbacks in the league. And I don't see that staying the same this year. Jared, on the way out, help me with my Lions. Uh, this is this is a team that can make any loss look good. Um, porous defense. I was watching the game, and the, the defensive coordinator literally tore a layer of skin off one of his defensive players by yelling in his face. Um, I just this, it's it's scary to watch the Lions. What's your take on them? It's uh, it's a team that's going to be at a talent deficit all season. You know, on both sides of the ball, the strength of the team is the offensive line. And I thought they did a decent job running the ball when they, you know, gave the ball to Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift. Um, in the second half, when they were able to make their comeback, it was notable that, you know, Jason Verrett from the 49ers went out. He was probably their best cornerback coming into this year. And, I mean, the guy just cannot stay healthy. He finally got on the field for 13 games last year, and he was awesome. And now, you know, in week one, he, I believe, tears his ACL and is out for the year again. And uh, I thought that that was a big reason why the Lions were able to stage their comeback because the San Francisco defensive backfield is just not very good without him. And, um, you know, I think it's going to be a long season for the Lions, but we knew that coming into the year, and I don't think their plan was to, you know, be a playoff team this season or anything like that. Their, their plan is over the long term. They're going to use those picks that they got from the Rams. They're going to use the cap space and try to improve the roster that way. Jared, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Have a good day. That's Jared Dubin from the NFL on CBS. And uh, let's see, what do we have? Oh, I was just looking at the uh, the Jared Goff stats. If you want a real contrast, do the Jared Goff weekly stats and, and compare them to Stafford. Uh, and so Goff had, had pretty good passing. What was it, 38 of 57? Um, and uh three touchdowns so he's going to learn what it's like to play with a team that has no defense while Stafford's learning what it's like to play on a team that has a defense uh, so maybe they should phone each other and compare notes uh, 41-33 49ers over the Lions uh, I'm just going to go over this as I said the Lions can make any loss look good uh, if you go back to the turning point of the game uh, the second quarter I scored 24 to 10 Brutal, brutal coverage. I mean, their defense. In that scene I'm talking about, the defensive coordinator leaned in to one of his defensive players. I I couldn't make out who it was because I was so enthralled with I I don't think I've ever seen anybody yell in anybody's face like that. Uh, They may have been separated, breaking all COVID protocols by no more than, I want to say, eight or nine inches. And he was just absolutely berating this player and i'm not a big fan of this stuff i mean you know, if you raise your voice you're still saying the same thing you don't have to yell uh, everybody has ears they can hear you uh, and it was so bad that you saw a couple of players come around and, and glare at the coach uh, because of the way he was treating this player i just thought this is just an absolute disaster of course they made it close with a big fourth quarter but the lions are known to do that and, and i'm not going to talk much about the lions this year because i think we've already seen this many times before uh, 
let's talk about the, the Patriots who lost to Miami. And you heard what uh, Jared had to say about that. Uh, and here is Coach Belichick at the end of it talking about the loss to the Dolphins, 17-16. You know, we just didn't do enough, just didn't do enough to win. Um, had our chances, had our opportunities, but really all the way across the board, we just got to do a, a better job. And um, really, that's about the story of it. Yeah, well, that's to the point. I don't think anybody would disagree with that. We were talking about the 38-3 win by the Saints over the Packers. Packers coach Matt LaFleur uh, admitted his team was embarrassed by the Saints. Absolutely embarrassed us today and can't do that against a well-coached and quality football team. Our guys are going to have to take a long, hard look in the mirror. It starts with myself. Obviously, didn't get these guys ready to play ball, and that's what happens when you, when you go out there and play like that against a good football team. And you heard what Jared had to say about the Steelers. 23-16 went over the Bills. It was basically gift-wrapped by the Bills. It, just an odd performance. Uh, Josh Allen, 30-51, 270 yards and a touchdown. And he admitted that uh, because it was the first game, a bit of nervousness and, and hopes to get better. First game nerves or jitters. But, again, i gotta, I got to play better. i got to be better. Uh, I know that. We're going to learn from this, and uh, we're not going to panic. You know, it's 16 games left. And, and again, we're going to look at the film and, and work and strive to get better. So that's some of the NFL story from opening day. And, of course, uh, the Bucks over the Cowboys on Thursday night by the slimmest of margins, game-winning field goal with time running out. And it closes tonight with Baltimore and Vegas against the Raiders. NFL Monday Night Football live here on TSN 1050 starting at 730. And you can watch it on TSN 1, 3, 4, or 5. In other words, you can't miss this game. And an exciting weekend. Of course, we had the CFL action as well in the weekend. Uh, three sort of different games on Saturday and the Argo win by a Ticat field goal hitting the post um, on Friday night. So plenty of football to talk about throughout the course of the day. Coming up next, we're going to chat tennis with Ken Cressida, co-host of Tennis Talk Canada. This is Toronto Today, TSN 1050, tsn1050.ca, also available on the TSN and iHeartRadio apps. Toronto Today, Jim Taddy with you until 1 o'clock, and then Matt Cause and Gameplay take over, then Overdrive, then NFL Monday Night Football, all live here on TSN 1050. Going to talk about tennis, Radicanu, with the marvelous U.S. Open. The 18-year-old born in Toronto, playing out of Britain, uh, defeating Leila Andy Fernandez on, on Saturday after, late Saturday afternoon. I mean, what a run. There are people in the Tennis Hall of Fame that would love to have that run, and she entered the tournament as a qualifier. 150th was her ranking and now is at the top of the pile. Remarkable. Let's bring in Ken Christina, co-host of Tennis Talk Canada and director of tennis at the Mayfair Clubs. Ken, uh, both, I'm 0 for 2 in the, in the singles finals on the weekend. How about you? Yes, I think, Jim, I might have been 0 for 2 as well. Um, however, at the start of the tournament, I did pick Medvedev to beat uh, Djokovic, <laughs> but by the end of it, I was I was leaning strongly towards a Djokovic win and uh, calendar grand slam, but it didn't happen. But unbelievable tennis through the two weeks of the tournament, and a little longer for Emma Raducanu as she had to play the qualifying as well. Yeah, and and this is a, as I said on the intro. I mean, there are people in the tennis hall of fame would love to have a straight sets romp through the U.S. Open and, and to the title, and and that's what she had really off the charts. She was rated 150th when this all started, and the Leila Annie Fernandez stories is certainly fantastic, but this one somehow beats it. Yeah, who who'd have thought there'd be two teenagers in the finals? We haven't seen that since I think it was 1999 on the on the women's side. 
I, I, I'm really quite, quite shocked, to be honest, that she's able to, you know, keep her composure and continue to play at that level through the finals. I, I really felt on the eve of the championship uh, match for the women's that, you know, Layla had had the tougher draw, the tougher matches, had been put under more pressure and would respond at a higher level on championship Saturday than, than Emma Raducanu would. And uh, the, the young 18-year-old from Great Britain, you're correct, born in Toronto uh, and still has a Canadian passport, apparently. But, you know, she just seemed to be fearless and just was so aggressive on the first shot of every rally, just attacking second serves, even attacking first serves. And uh, in the end, it was well-deserved. She deserved to be the champion. She played the best throughout the two weeks and deserved to hoist the trophy at the end of it. Oh, absolutely. You, you couldn't take that away from her. I, I thought it was uh, interesting watching the men's yesterday. And I, as I watched Djokovic, I thought, well, he reminds me of Layla in that I don't think he has the legs today. It just didn't seem like he had it. And I think that you would describe Layla the same way on Saturday, not that same look as when they were winning. Yes, I, I agree with that for sure. And I think that, um, you know, Medvedev should maybe thank Zverev and thank Berrettini and thank the others that forced uh, Djokovic to play more than three sets because on championship Sunday on the men's side, he looked, um, I hate to use the term almost ordinary, but for a guy in Novak Djokovic that has been really unstoppable throughout the entire uh, season of tennis, he did look like a normal human playing on Sunday against Medvedev. And some of that was due to, um, you know, the stress of the moment, the tension of the moment, um, and his previous matches. But let's not take too much away from what uh, Medvedev brought to the table. And, and he, much like Emma Raducanu, was fearless in the match. He was aggressive. Uh, he took it to Novak and was not afraid of the moment at all. So totally impressed with how Medvedev played. And to all of those club players that might be listening in and all of those whether you're young or old, with a little kink in your swing or a little funny part of your swing, and everybody makes fun of it. Have a look at Medvedev's forehand. He never follows through to the same place. He's got an unusual follow-through, and I'm sure there's been many coaches along the way that have tried to change him, uh, but it worked for him. So, Jim Taddy, keep your forehand going the way it is. You've still got a chance, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a golfer, and, and one of the one of the best things I was ever told was finish your swing. So that that might apply here. I want to go back to Saturday, and and in the second set, um, Layla had won a, a couple of games, and then there was that medical break for for Emma. And I mean, that really uh, those two games before that medical break was was the only time in that match where I we saw Layla from previous matches where you could see her connecting with herself and in the crowd and you thought something was going to build the medical break happens and of course totally justified and it all shifted didn't it yes it absolutely did and you know that could have gone either way it could have gone against emma and for layla or vice versa you know as as it seemed to really help emma kind of regroup um you know the important uh detail here is that a lot of us uh, you know, a lot of people watching and listening to the show uh, on television felt like um, it was unsportsmanlike of um, Emma to take that time out. But it really has nothing to do with her. The rules of tennis are that when there is blood like that, the umpire 
should at all, almost every time I've ever seen it. They stop play. They allow the player to be cleaned up because you don't want the blood, uh, you know, gushing out onto the court surface, anything like that. So Emma took a little bit of unfair, um, you know, we'll say uh, comments from some fans around the world. But I was impressed by Andy Roddick. He came right out. He, he pointed out what the rule was. And, you know, kind of corrected Layla a bit because she wasn't sure of the rule and probably corrected Emma a bit because I'm sure she wasn't aware of the rule. These two young players on tour, they're not going to know all the rules out there because there are so many of them. But it certainly did change the moment of that match a little bit, but I don't think it really affected the outcome. The better player won on that day, and that was Emma Raducanu. I like your reaction to this. Mark Masters, one of our tennis reporters, has uh, put out projected rankings post-U.S. Open. Uh, Felix, plus four, now 11. Dennis, minus two, now 12. Bianca, minus 13, now 20. Leila Fernandez, plus 45, now 28. Raonic remains at 33. Pospisil down 7 to 65. Rebecca Marino plus 18, now 157. And Jeannie Bouchard, minus 39, 170. What's your take on all of that? Well, the points have been protected for a long time because of the pandemic. So now the points from the 2019 U.S. Open and tournaments around that time are starting to fall off the rankings. So we're really seeing some drops. You know, a pretty hefty drop for Bianca to drop out of the top 10 down to number 20 in the world. She stays still in the top 20, so that's that's certainly nice for her. She's still going to get the direct entries. She's still going to be seeded in almost every tournament, um, which is certainly a help help because it'll often get you a buy into the second round. I think the one thing that really pops off the page is that Felix is now 11 and Dennis is 12. Firstly, let's say, hey, we've got two guys both you know knocking on the door of the top 10, which is great. Um, but a lot of people for a while now have been saying that Felix's game has a little bit more of an upside to Dennis, a little bit more consistency and a little bit more um, consistency day-to-day on top of that. And we're seeing that now with Felix just one spot ahead of him. You know Dennis won't like that. He'll be working hard to right that ship. One other ranking that really jumped was Emma Raducanu's ranking, jumped from 150 in the world all the way up to 23 in the world. That's the largest jump that I've ever seen in a ranking. So, you know, there's going to be some new names uh, up top the leaderboards of a lot of these tournaments and the seedings uh, of the tournament. So hopefully Emma and uh, Layla will see them for a long time in some finals and semifinals of some of the Masters Series and the Grand Slams to come for sure. Just a quick thought before we let you go, Ken. Um, so how does Layla Annie Fernandez build off uh, what was a, a stunning achievement at the U.S. Open and, and also disappointing end? I mean, it's a double-edged sword there. So how does she move forward? Well, I think she'll rebound back quickly from the disappointing ending. You know, you see the trophy. You see your ranking go up. You hear all the nice things that have been said about her, especially about her speech was unbelievable, how she had the wherewithal at 19 years old to mention 9-11 and, and the resiliency of New York. Um, really uh, an incredible speech by the young Leila Annie Fernandez. The the problem that comes with doing so well in New York at the U.S. Open is the crowd is so loud, the noise is so loud, and she's going to move on to the next tournament. It, it, hers is going to be the BNP Paribas Open, and she's going to start to feel, you know, there's not as much noise, there's not as much support, and sometimes that can play uh, tricks on you. Hopefully she'll remember quickly what it was like to be ranked in the 70s and 80s in the world when there's not as many fans out there 
and it won't bother her as much. But that's the side that's a little trickier, and she's got to learn to manage that because every tournament is different, every crowd and fan base is different. So hopefully she'll settle in nicely for her next event. And she will have gained a lot of fans, so there'll still be a lot of people cheering for Layla Fernandez. Ken, thanks very much. Appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. That's Ken Christina, co-host of Tennis Talk Canada. Uh, by the way, our final episode for this season will air Saturday at 11 on TSN 1050, and then we're off for the season. He talked about the BMP Paribas uh, event, which is the next one, next major stop uh, on the tennis circuit, and that's uh, in early October. Uh, and then, of course, on to the Australian Open. There are minor tournaments in between to, to keep going. Uh, I like what he said about playing in front of fans. Big crowd in New York, as you saw uh, on the weekend, full house. And, uh, you know, it was pointed out yesterday by Ben Roethlis, Burger and the uh, the Steelers went over the Bills. Several players on his team had never played in front of a live NFL crowd before because they debuted last year when there was nobody in the stands for the most part. And this was uh, in Buffalo, so it, it's interesting as as we sort of get back to normal how it affects or or doesn't affect uh, what happens in, on the field of play. Uh, just a note here from the Leafs. Uh, you know, as you know, the development camp is going on uh, for the uh, prospects, and of course the prospects tournament on the on the weekend in Traverse City is coming up and the rest of the Leafs are having informal skates and uh, we have our spies tell us that Michael Bunting skating on a line with John Tavares as the veterans get ready to start camp which will be uh, in a week's time. So the hockey world is moving along and Savannah Lafay was uh, let go by the Columbus Blue Jackets as a coach today because he doesn't follow the protocols that the team needs. He was not vaccinated so that's an interesting departure. Uh, gameplay is next. Thanks for joining us in Toronto today on TSN 1050.